Hello, everyone. This podcast episode is sponsored by Arbor Vitae Wellness Center here in Santa Monica, California, where they offer services such as chiropractic care, physical therapy, acupuncture, and massage therapy. A lot of you have heard me talk about injuries I've dealt with on the podcast, and I reached out to Arbor Vitae a few months ago to get help with my neck and back pain, and the owner, Dr. Gerges, uh, we call him Dr. G., Uh, He's done nothing short of an amazing job. He didn't just help relieve the physical pain, uh, but he showed me how the mental and spiritual aspects of my life are important to maintain for my physical health. A lot of you guys that listen to the podcast are musicians, athletes, or dancers, and we regularly get aches and pains, and it's so important to get help from somewhere like Arbor Vitae that takes the time to understand our demanding lifestyles. And... I mean, no matter what you do, we're all spending time sitting down every day. You know, we're on our computers, we're driving and whatnot. So if you just want to feel better in general, Arbor Vitae Wellness Center is the place for you. All right, let's get this episode started. Right, Miss Reeves, Sophie. Hello. Man, I yeah. Again, I you know, like I was saying earlier, I've just I've been looking forward to this one just because um, I think uh, I mean I know you know you, you do artist management, and tour management, and um, but you know I, as a musician myself, you, you see the I, I, know, I didn't I mention too much. Yeah, yeah, really cool. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, you know it's um like uh, I think the the cool thing about what you do is I, I imagine you because you're working with artists and then you're also doing tour management that well one that that means that you're traveling quite a lot so naturally you've had a lot of experiences um you know in different places and then dealing with artists you also deal with like a lot of personalities that the average person probably doesn't deal with uh on a daily basis um so and then of course I'm sure you have a very interesting background story as we kind of touched on (laughs) but anyway before I keep going on if you want to yeah. introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Sophie. Um, I am very passionate about everything I do. I don't like to mold myself to just one thing. Um, oh. Most people know me as a tour manager, which I did for about 15 years. Um, once COVID hit, uh, I have switched over fully to producing, executive producing events, which I'm enjoying not living out of a suitcase and traveling all over the world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I... I, I'm just me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so like when I, Oh, which by the way, just since it's starting off, yeah. I just, I just want to brag a little bit and say, this is the first podcast first that you've podcast. ever said yes to and that you've ever done. Yes. yes. So yes. I just, just wanted to first one get the, just get the little brag out the way, but, um, <laughs> excited to be here. Yes. And, and I think, uh, you know, like I, you know, when I emailed you and then we, we talked, mm-hmm. um, I think, um, of course, everyone always wants to like, um, is always interested in like the, the artist path. And mm-hmm. I think for me, I've always been interested in like all, all the executives and people in the business that you never hear about. You never like, you know, really see their face. But, um, you know, 
that's where like the actual that's where things are happening that's where the money is flowing that's everything yeah. so for me it's like it's it's um i think takes a village yeah exactly <laughs> exactly because like 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 recently i've just been looking at um i guess i've always understood artists are are entities like mm-hmm. when you see a, a show there are so many things that happened mm-hmm. to get like 60 or however many thousand people mm-hmm. safely in this building and everything mm-hmm. all synchronized and anyway but um yeah, no, it's so, I think having someone uh, in the music business as experienced as yourself that can just, you know, give that insight and, you know, let people know. But before even getting into, like, even anything music related, yeah. of course, I'm just interested to just know, like, just your general background and then yeah. we'll talk about how you got into it. Well, I um, I grew up in the music business. Uh, my dad is a songwriter. Um, he was very successful in the seventies with a couple big hits. He wrote all I ever need is you by Sonny and Cher. Um, and then he went on to work at Warner brother records in Nashville. So growing up, I was like running around with Faith Hill and selling her Girl Scout cookies and being in the record label was really, it was really fun. And I was like, okay, this is what I want to do when I grow up. I want to work at a record label. Um, there was a brief moment when I was like 14 to 16, me and one of my girlfriends at the time were like writing songs and I was like, I'm going to be a singer one day. And I learned how to play drums and flute and guitar, piano. I was like, this is like, maybe I want to be an artist. And we actually won an open mic night. My mom is also, um, a songwriter. And so I kind of had it, you know, as a child, when you're going through becoming a teenager, which I never want to be a teenager again, but um, there's a lot of angst and feelings. And so I used writing and songwriting and music as my outlet. Um, And then I won an open mic night with my girlfriend, one of my friends at the time. And I remember it was at Bluebird Cafe in Nashville, Tennessee, which is a pretty well-known kind of starter place where people that are looking to start careers. And I remember I got up on stage And we started playing and I was just like, why is everyone looking at me? (laughs) I don't like this feeling. Why is everyone staring? Do I make eye contact? I was like, this feels so awkward. And I remember that was like the moment where I decided, I think I want to work behind the scenes. Um, I, I just didn't. I didn't like all that attention. Of, of course, I love attention. But <laughs> in that moment, I didn't like the stage attention. It yeah. felt very unnatural yeah. to me. Um, so, you know, I ended up going through college. I didn't start college until I was older. Um, but I started college in Canada. I can go into how I ended up in Canada at some point. But um, started college in Canada at University of Manitoba, and they didn't have a music business program in Winnipeg, Manitoba. No shocker there. <laughs> um, so I moved back down to Nashville and um, got accepted to the music business program at MTSU and started saying, I'm going to work at a record label one day. So I... Um, did my three years, I tried to take like 21 credits, you know, at this time I was like 23. So I was, you know, older than most people in my grade. I was wanting to just get in and get out of college and, um, had a boyfriend pretty much the whole time. So I didn't get the full college experience was working at TGI Fridays Mm -hmm. and broke up with my boyfriend. I was like three months from graduating college and one of the guys that I was really good friends with at, um, TGI Fridays was like, I have an extra ticket to Bonnaroo. Um, do you want to come? And I was like, man, I have a shift on Friday. Um, maybe I'll come like late night Friday. It's a, for anyone that doesn't know, it's a four day music festival in Manchester, Tennessee, outside of Nashville. Um, it's 
amazing. At the time, it was amazing uh, being, you know, 23, 24 years old. So I was never, I loved going to concerts as a kid. I went and saw Alanis Morissette and, you know, um, Bush and No Doubt in the 90s. Those were kind of like my jams, but I never was big into festivals. I didn't know yeah. that even that existed. Um, so I drove by myself out to Bonnaroo, parked. My friend met me at the gate, gave me the ticket, and I walked into Bonnaroo at like 11 p.m. And I immediately was just, I felt like I was at home. <laughs> I was like, what is this place? The environment, everyone was nice, high-fiving as you're walking <laughs> around. I'm like, why is everyone so happy? This is incredible. <laughs> Um, and we had the best time. We went and saw like Girl Talk. We went and saw um, a bunch of MGMT, a bunch of different artists that night. And I remember we stayed up very, very late. Um, and at 4 a.m., there was an artist, <clears throat> excuse me, there was an artist called Pretty Lights performing. And um, we went and saw this 4 to 6 a.m. slot, sunrise slot of this DJ. And I fell in love. It was like hip hop, electric electro music and this is 2009 so this is before mm. the edm was just starting yeah. to bubble yeah. um and i was oh. like what is this this sound is amazing and going back to the artist thing i think becoming an artist when you're able to find a new sound that anyone can hear and you're like oh that's john lennon oh that's the beatles or that's the beach boys um that's where I always find, you know, you've developed something that's your own. Mm. And that electro funk soul jazz music was something I had never heard before. Um, so that weekend I had the best time. Um, went back. I was at the time doing my TGI Fridays and an internship at Capitol Records in the promotion and publicity department. I was literally like clipping articles out of the newspaper. <laughs> and I emailed... Pretty Lights on MySpace. That dates myself a bit. That's how I, I found him. But <laughs> I went on MySpace and I sent him an email. I was just like, hey, I'm Sophie. I'm about to graduate with a music business major and I want to work for you. I think actually I recently went and looked at the email and I think it's like eight paragraphs long and unbelievably embarrassing. And I was like so desperate. I was just like, I'll do anything for you. I'll sweep your floors. Like, please give me a job. Um, and he wrote me back like three days later, and I couldn't believe it. Wow. And at the time, you know, he was a smaller artist. Um, he was like doing tweener sets for Fish and STS9, if anyone's a jam band fan, they'll know those bands. But um, he hadn't really, you know, he had a manager, but hadn't really hit like major success yet. And um, so we emailed back and forth a bit and I lost contact uh, a little bit because, you know, he wasn't responding, he was doing shows. So I just showed up to a show one day, I bought a ticket, didn't ask to buy the ticket, just bought the ticket, showed up, and the show was so small. It was like maybe 500 people where mm. the stage was in the corner of the room and there wasn't even a back of house. You just had to walk off the stage and then your green room was somewhere else. So I waited till the concert was over and I went right up as he was walking off and I was like, hey, it's Sophie. <laughs> it's the girl that's been emailing you. And he was like, oh, hey. And by the way, Pretty Lights is six feet nine. I'm like maybe wow. five, four on a good yeah. day. So he's, he was towering over me and I was like, I really, um, I really, really would love to like talk more about this opportunity and I'd love to work with you. And he was like, okay, okay, well, um, let me get your number. And I just signed with a booking agent, um, Hunter Williams and, uh, let me talk to my agent on Monday and, and call me on Tuesday. So Monday rolled around and he actually called me that Monday and he said, Hey, I talked to my agent. We're doing our first five day tour 
in an SUV and a box truck. And we need someone to just come help and sell merch and drive the car and like, you know, just help all around. Like, do you want to come? I was like, yes. He's like, I think we can pay you, you know, $200. And I was like, I'm in, I'll do it. Um, And that was kind of the beginning of it. I went on the tour. I was making turkey sandwiches. I was going above what was asked of me and like trying to provide help where I could. I didn't drink. I was driving the van. I was doing anything I could. And I remember one day we were driving from like Tuscaloosa to another city and I kind of finally got to take a nap in the back of the van and I could hear the guys. It was like at the time, pretty lights. And then we had like a front of house tour manager a lighting guy and like maybe one more person. And I remember they were talking about me and they're like, Sophie's doing a really great job. Like, what do you think? Should she come do this Colorado run with us and like bring her out to Denver? And I remember like pretending to be asleep and like so excited (laughs) inside that, wow, I'm doing a good job. Okay. This is happening. Um, and yeah, that was kind of the beginning of the end. Um, I ended up moving to Denver, um, that December I graduated in August and then I moved to Denver Um, in December. And I spent about a year and a half working for Pretty Lights. Um, And during the time he got signed by Red Light Management and Red Light Management was like, Sophie, we love you, but you have no idea what you're doing. So we're going to bring on a tour manager. Um, His name is Scott Cadwallader. And he kind of mentored me for three months. They were like, you're still going to tour manage, but he's going to come and just kind of teach you. And he was a, you know, veteran, had been touring for already 20 years. Mm -hmm. And he taught me everything on like not to use a white piece of paper on a white wall with the day sheet, use an orange piece of paper on the white wall so people see it. And, <laughs> you know, you're supposed to send advance emails and follow up the night before. So um, that opportunity was amazing because once he finished the three-month kind of stint with us, he um, he ended up asking me to come and fill in for a job on Foster the People in Europe. And he was like, I think it'd be really great for you to get some experience over in Europe. And so I went and did the Foster the People job in Europe. It was my first time working on anything else except Pretty Lights. And I just was like, wow, instruments on stage. And it was so different. And Europe. And within like three days, the Foster the People band was like, we want you to work for us. And I was like, oh shit, this is crazy because Pretty Lights told me that this was going to happen. They're going to ask me to go work for them. What do I do? Um, But ultimately I made the decision to move to LA. Um, I didn't have an apartment. I think I had $2,000 in the bank and I moved to LA on the promise of going on, you know, the first Torches tour with Foster the People as the road manager for the band. Um, Scott was the tour manager and that was kind of the beginning of the end. Once I moved to LA, the um, I worked for Foster for about a year until I went fully freelance and things just started rolling. Um, and it's just progressed from there. I toured with a bunch of different artists from Nas to Jack Johnson to Kygo to Skrillex to 30 Seconds to Mars, uh, Luna George. I know I'm forgetting. There's been so many. Charlie Puth. I've done some stuff with Coldplay. So... Um, the touring thing for me has been very rewarding and, um, I have loved it so much. So that's like my brief story into, it wasn't very brief, (laughs) but that's my story of getting into touring. And from there I've, you know, started diversifying into doing more artist relations. And I started producing in like 2014. Um, and you know, I think the hardest thing about 
touring is, you know, we can get into more of it, but it's very lonely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was pretty much single the whole time I was on the road. Um, I struggled having friends because I was gone 10 months of the year. Um, I missed a lot of my family opportunities. So a lot of stuff has gone on where I've, you know, at this point in my life, I'm in my late thirties, which is crazy, but, um, I am prioritizing other things. Mm. So, um, being on the road 10 months of the year is not, I'm not doing it anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. First of all, that is easily, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitating to say number one, just out of like, (laughs) let me just like literally try to remember every episode I've done, but like that is easily top three introductions of like oneself in a podcast. That's easily, easily. That's such a like concise, like um, it's actually impressive how like well you remember your own, like I've, I've, uh, I've always been like, I've always found it funny how like it's hard for most people to remember their own story, like the details, but man, you're, I mean, it's a pretty, it was the most exciting moment in my life. Um, except for my fiance, which I can't leave out. That was also getting engaged was very exciting, but besides being engaged, um, that moment of, you know, the opportunity being there and like how much you have to pursue it and what you're willing to sacrifice. And I think, you know, I think you actually found me through USC. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have started being a professor there as of last year. Um, shout out to some of my students graduating today. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been texting some of them, very proud of them. Uh, but it's been incredible to, almost ignite the flame that I felt when I first got into the industry. And I think that, you know, it's, you get very jaded. Um, I'm behind the scenes. I'm running into Ringo Starr. I, I, how many times have I mentioned the Beatles? I'm a big Beatles fan. <laughs> um, but I, you know, you run into so many people and it's, you know, I get invited. I had free tickets to go to Coachella and it's like, I don't even want to go. <laughs> I'm like, do I have to? It's work for me. So teaching has been something that I am able to kind of live my life through their eyes again. Mm-hmm. And it has made me look at my work and my jobs and what's important to me in that fresh light of how it felt. So in remembering my story, I think I give a lot of credit to the students because I share mm-hmm. my experience with them. Um, it's been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears of working and you know, it, it's funny because the class is called DIY Touring. Um, mm. And it's a class for USC students that are musicians and artists that once they graduate, what do you do? How do you talk to a sound engineer at a club? Yeah. Um, how do you get a venue booked? Uh, how do you call them? What do you say? How many times is it appropriate to follow up? Um, mm. And all of that and teaching has just been, um, yeah, I like, I love it so much. It's really fun. Wow. There's so much to respond to in in that one. (laughs) I will say first being the nice guy that I am the next time you are burdened with Coachella (laughs) tickets or any (laughs) other content, I, I will relieve you of that stress and like, okay. And then, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, this is so cool because um, that last part you said of the, the mm-hmm. DIY, um, you know, class, mm-hmm. that is, it's so important because I, like, I, I realized um, 
in my own musical life that like just due to how I've lived life outside of music and things I've just like had to do just to like hustle that I naturally had some of those skills in terms of like I mean like outside of working on like you you realize you get to a point in your craft where you realize like oh shit like the craft isn't the biggest Mm -hmm. obstacle anymore it's like it's building the infrastructure around like just everything that I'm doing and, yeah. and my talents. So I think like, you know, reaching out to people and the subtleties behind it, like you said, like, like when it's appropriate to follow up and all this stuff, like, cause for so many, you know, especially kids in academia, I think, um, uh, it's so tough because when you're trained to follow the rules for mm-hmm. so long and then like out of nowhere now it's like, Oh, well now go out there <laughs> and like ask the world of this and like, be savvy in this and that. Like, I, I just think that your, your class is, is extremely relevant so to relevant. like what I think is one of the biggest issues is that like there's doing music yeah. and then there's like building infrastructure yeah. around it. A hundred percent. And I mean, we just finished class a week ago and I was like, so what was the most useful out of the class? They were like the budget. We didn't realize how much <laughs> money it costs. <laughs> I was like, I know I give them money and like the final project, they have like a certain amount of money and they have to go and do a 10 day tour. And I give them like $6,500 and it's DIY touring. So you're, um, and I don't physically give them the money, but I, you know, give them a scenario that Mm -hmm. they have to build the tour around. Um, and they struggle to make money if not be negative Mm -hmm. out of the experience. And this is, you know, DIY, three or four people just trying to do a Southern California tour. Um, and I I mean, I tell all the students, even if you are an artist and you don't want to do the business side, you need to have that basis of understanding so that when you have a manager or a booking agent or someone's putting a contract in front of you, you have some knowledge and experience to speak to instead of just signing Mm -hmm. your potential career if you blow up away. Um, So I I give them a lot of realities, but it's funny because it's a DIY touring class. And, you know, some of the students, it's a newer class, so some of them want to be tour managers that are in the class. And I'm like, guys, no, do not do it. (laughs) I'm like, if you want to be an artist, I support it. I'm like, do not become a tour manager. And they're like, my fiance is like, Sophie, you're, teaching a touring class like why are you telling your students not to be tour managers and I'm like man I just I struggled you know and I think that's the part where it was really crazy when COVID hit because you know for all touring professionals we were just like what the fuck do we do now (laughs) like uh you know and we actually started an amazing group chat Um, It's me and like 27 other tour managers. And every morning at 10 a.m., we would get on the call and we would have coffee to kind of help support each other. But in saying all of this, I think part of my hesitation in telling people, go be a tour manager, um, is, you know, it was really lonely. I struggled for years. Um, It is hard to get out of. And the money is good and the daily hits of endorphins as being an artist, Mm. you feel that accomplishment of going on stage and you walk off and it's like, okay, I accomplished it. Check. We did it. Mm. And it's like a daily thing that you almost get like addicted to. It's Mm -hmm. like, I need that. I need that energy and that push. And, um, you know, I, I, 
I already have arthritis because I've overused my body. Um, I've been in the hospital about three different times, um, from not taking care of myself, having 102 degree temperature, but being on the road and doing the show regardless. Um, I, I sacrificed a lot. I, my dad passed away while I was on the road and we didn't end our, um, relationship in a good place because I was more concerned with my work than Mm -hmm. dedicating time to family. I've missed bar mitzvahs, uh, weddings, um, birthdays. I've missed a lot. And I think it kind of flashes before you. And I was so hungry. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think you kind of anytime being an artist or when you're very much wanting to be successful, you do have to put a hundred percent in, but I just remind students that that balance in life, it took me, I mean, almost 10 years before I started figuring out, I need to wake up in the morning every day and take 30 minutes Mm -hmm. for me before I can take care of the tour. The emails will be there. Everything's going to still, the work is going to be there, but Um, it was hard. I mean, I was lonely. It's like, I'd come home and no one would text me to go do anything. And then I'd see all my friends out on Instagram and I'm like, why didn't anyone reach out? They're like, we didn't even know you were here. So it's, you know, I I try to not shock the class, but (laughs) I tell them, look, these are the realities. Mm -hmm. There is, yes, it looks like it's a party, but as a tour manager, you're at the party without partying. You have to be the sober mature one. You don't get to stay up drinking and having the fun time. So is it worth it? Absolutely. I have been able to travel all over the world, eating crazy foods, (laughs) seeing the world on someone else's dollar. Um, but I just want them to know the sacrifices and at least be aware of them because I wished I would have start balancing my life earlier when I started touring. Um, with exercise, eating, drinking, all Mm -hmm. of those things. Um, And it took, you know, me being in the hospital and my dad passing away for me to finally like get back into therapy and start working out at least two or three times a day. And it's not like, oh, I need to work out to be fit. It's like my mental state needs to be doing something because that's giving to yourself. You know, you have to build a relationship with yourself. Um, So... I think I scare them. I, I asked them at the end of the class. I was like, so who still wants to be a tour manager? Yeah. There's like one or two that like kind of raise their hand, but um, it's amazing. I, It's so glorified in so many other places that I don't need to do that for them. Yeah. I just want to tell them my, and that's only my experience. And I tell them that it's not everyone's experience, yeah. but I have a couple friends that um, I've mentored and actually a guy that I'm meeting up later today for a drink, he reached out to me, um, when he was graduating college and someone told him to contact me, Trevor. Hi, Trevor. Um, and he basically was like, I want to be a tour manager. And I was like, "Mm, don't do it. Like Mm -hmm. go into artist management, do something Mm -hmm. like diversify. If you're going to do touring, do touring and something else. Um, and I think he's 10 years in and he can't get off the road. (laughs) So it's, um, you know, it's addicting and it's fun and you make good money and you're traveling around the world. It's, it's just a hard, it's hard to take tour management and go, okay, what do you do next? Mm -hmm. Either are you a roadie forever? Um, like how do you start turning that into a job where you get to have your nights to yourself and can build a family if you want or have some time for yourself? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that that's that's um, I, and I'm sure 
I mean, I'll speak for myself, and I'm sure listeners, um, you know, really appreciate, like, uh, I think you sharing these mm-hmm. details, it's, um, it's so helpful because I think there's certain careers where you might not realize that they're actually not careers. You're basically saying, like, I'm signing up for this life. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, it, it's... That's it's so interesting because I, I think um, with tours too, it, when everyone thinks of a tour, you're you're thinking of how like you're you're only ever thinking of like how everyone is enjoying themselves mm-hmm. and like just you know you're either thinking about the artists themselves or the fan experience. Yeah, and um, they're not thinking about the moldy shower you have to get in, <laughs> in the venue. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, no. That, that shit is real. It's so gross. Yeah. I remember getting in the showers and I'm like, okay, how do I not let yeah, the shower curtain God. with mold touch me? I'm like, I think I'm just going to stay dirty. Oh, it's so insane. gross. Yeah. <laughs> you oh, know, if you've yeah. toured. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's cause you, you're, you're at the mercy of anything around yeah. you. And, and it's just, it's, um, food include just everything. Oh my gosh, like you're, all of it. you know, and, um, I mean, I mean, I guess some of the perks, you get really good at traveling. You get really yeah. good at like just... I have a lot of air miles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but that that's so... Um, that's so... It's so cool that like, um, you know, th- those jobs where somehow you're, you're aware that like you're not able to live your fullest personal life, yet they're so addicting that like it's hard to walk away from even when you know that like in some ways it's 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 just downright like harmful Mm -hmm. so that that's just got to be like were there any um and i and you know obviously well because i I definitely want to learn more about other things you've done within music but Mm -hmm. still within like the tour what was there any um towards the end of you like doing that i guess a full time um were there any specific moments where you were just like, damn, all right, th- this is, this is either ending now or just sometime soon. But like, what were, was there like a, maybe like an initial moment where you're just like, okay, this has to like, you know, I tried to start getting off the road when I turned 30. So I had been only touring for seven years at that point. Um, and it had already again, like the loneliness for me. Um, and you know, we can talk about other portions of my life, but I growing up dealt with depression and, um, you know, I've been able personally to manage it with exercise and healthy eating and therapy, but it got so lonely that I just at, at 30, I was like, I can't, this is not working for me. Mm -hmm. It's not worth everything that I'm putting in, um, like something has to change. And I actually took a full-time job. Um, that's when I started doing artist management with, uh, 360, um, with Frank Ocean. And it was really exciting at the time because I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get out. And (laughs) it lasted six months because it was, I don't want to say boring because Frank is fucking awesome. And it was so cool to work with him. But what I was doing compared to then switching was such, it was a shock to my system. Mm. Um, And I didn't even know, I was like, I remember the first day at 360, I like went to the copying machine to make a copy of something. 
and I couldn't figure it out. And I like went to my shoulder, like I had a radio to ask (laughs) someone to help. (laughs) I had like the phantom radio on my shoulder. I was like, right, I'm not on tour. Okay. Um, you know, it was like, where's catering. I have to drive and sit at a desk till 6 PM every day. I was like, it's so funny that like your body has like an action that like, (laughs) Oh, when I need help, just, I like looked to see if anyone looked at me and I was like, okay, yeah, I didn't just do that. Um, but I, I, you know, I got an offer again after six months to go back on tour with Foster and I I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. And so, um, I went back out on the road and then that's when I started having some medical issues within about two years. Um, I ended up getting viral meningitis three different times, um, and was in the hospital for, you know, 10 days each time, which was pretty, it's like the world stops with meningitis. You can't see and it's, it's pretty crazy. Mm. Um, so once that started happening, I was just like, I went vegan at 2015 and I was traveling to China and like, there's no vegan food in China in 2015. So I was like eating French fries and grilled vegetables and like protein bars out of my suitcase. Mm. And you know, now I'm not, I think I live in a life now where for a long time I've been black and white. And now I try to live in the gray where I try to eat healthy and be good to the world and the environment. But if I'm on tour in another country, my body needs some protein. I'm going to eat some fish. Like what is that balance if there is nothing else, right? It's not always about like, what am I going to damage in my body? So I remember the first time I got really sick and was in the hospital, I came out and I was like, give me a milkshake. Like I'm resetting. I need to rethink about how I'm like taking care of myself and that was kind of when I really started getting into producing more. Cause I was like, okay, I think producing is my way mm-hmm. out of here to get out of touring. But the last tour, the last big tour I did was, um, with Skrillex. And the one right before that was with foster the people. And I ended up coming back with foster and being a tour manager, which was amazing for their last big tour that they did. Um, I, I stopped being challenged and, that was really when I knew that it was time for me to try something new. I have always been, um, I have wanted to be a, not a chameleon, but I've wanted to experience life to the fullest in every single way. Mm-hmm. And I've lived my life. Like I'd rather look back in life and say, I wish I hadn't than I wish I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I started just not feeling challenged. It started feeling just, like I was going through the motions and maybe I wasn't even doing as good of a job because I wasn't learning as much as I was learning previously. So that was really kind of that tour. And then I took the Skrillex tour and I was like, okay, Skrillex, this is, this is going to be my last tour. Like this is, this is it for me. I'm ready to really make the dive, make the commitment, um, to make the change. And I mean, we all know what's crazy. That was like, uh, Skrillex ended in February of 2020. Um, and you know, two weeks later COVID happened. So it was like such a crazy time. I started doing some producing, um, for the company that I'm currently at production club. And it was like one week before COVID that I started working with them. And I was like, Oh shit, like this is not the right time to be switching careers, but maybe it is because touring's over. So, um, I really think it was a mixture of some things not being challenged for me personally. I I love learning. And, um, I I think that at the end of that tour, I just kind of the Skrillex stuff, I was like, I'm not being challenged as much. Mm. I want something new. I want to be like, 
experiencing and doing things that I haven't done before. Yeah. And obviously working at a company full time, the thing that I've learned was one of the things I've never done is the meeting for the meeting for the meeting. That's, that's a full, that's like part of the full-time job thing <laughs> I, that I never knew yeah. existed. Cause you don't in touring or in a lot of stuff, you're just kind of like solving problems. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, I think health. And also I was just really ready to like fall in love and, yeah. you know, yeah. get to the next level in my personal life. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a, I, I like that like, um, distinction cause there, there are certain jobs where it's less about, I guess on the logistical side, like it's less about being creative and it's literally like, okay, we let's just focus on like disaster mm-hmm. prevention mm-hmm. more so than just sitting around being like, oh, well we could do this and we can do that. It's, totally. it's just different muscles you're using. Oh yeah. I tell um, people like tour management is I'm one part bag carrier, one part armchair therapist, and maybe I do some flights and logistics. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very weird tour management is, is big about personality, Um, your personality has to match the band and it is not just, Oh, I got to book some flights and do some things. It's like, you know, you got to be there to help the people and deal with conflict. And, you know, I mean, alcoholism is a real thing on the road. Like a lot of roadies drink way too much and, um, have some issues with it because you're, it's just there. It's free. It's always around. You're at a party every single day. It's a very easy thing to, um, fall into. So you become, you have to be very multidisciplinary as a yeah. tour manager. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, wow, that's, and I, I want to get that um, personality aspect that you mentioned in terms of being in this um, field and doing it successfully, I want to get back to, but I'm interested um, in terms of uh, the, so the production that you're doing now, mm-hmm. uh, what, what, like what, what type of work is that? So, um, I, right now I work as an executive producer at production club. Um, it's been amazing. I've been there for two years. Um, and we produce live events, everything from A to Z. So a lot of what I do right now is managing a group of people who, um, we come up with the creative concept. We do the visuals, we have architects, we have 3d modelers, and, you know, we have a client that'll come to us and say, we want to create this thing. Um, one of the things we did recently was the player introductions for the Super Bowl. Um, and that was so fun. It's a very... Oh, I love those. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. basically yeah. we did like the trusses and these carts that come out onto the field. And um, we did it for the LA Rams as well. But, you know, we come up with the renders and the ideas and we present it to the client. And then we do all of the fabrication and all of building it and coming up with the story behind it and how, what is the feasibility and how does it work and how do we get them there and mm. how do you manage it and take care of it. Um, so I did a lot of that. And then... I was doing a little bit of side work, which um, I'm I'm not doing as much anymore, but I um, produced the two recent Kanye shows, the um, Larry Hoover event, um, and I also produced um, the one in February. So uh, those were insane because we had like an 18-day lead time for the Larry Hoover event. So if anyone's familiar with that show, it was insane production to complete in 18 days my right eye has not stopped twitching (laughs) so um and that is just like you know full hands on deck trying to figure out the creative and how to make it happen and um it it's not 
it, it's it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Yeah. But yeah, those, that's the kind of stuff I'm doing. We do festivals and um, I, I love it. Right now, I think a lot of what I love doing in my current role is um, managing people and helping clear the path forward to lift the people around me up. Mm. Um, I think that spills over a bit from the teaching stuff I'm doing right now and mentoring. It's so rewarding, uh, helping people figure out what they want to do with their Mm. lives. I didn't really have a lot of that when I first started in my career. So, um, I feel like I want to give back to the next generation and make it, you know, at the end of the day, it's a bit of a disservice, um, by not having some of the information and like, I remember being like, why will no one share their budget with me for a tour? And no one would. It was like, I had to reinvent it. And I'm like, I don't understand. It's like, are they scared? There's not enough work. Like there is definitely enough work. And so that's part of like why I, I love teaching. And also in the position I'm in now, we're building a team and yeah, I'm excited to do cool, exciting Mm. shit. Yeah. (laughs) That's so it's, that's awesome. And, and like, um, I also agree. I think that having that, it's really cool that you naturally have that like awareness of, um, well, I've done so much cool shit. It would be, you know, cool to see other people that also want to do this stuff, like do it. And that, that, I mean, I don't think there's enough of that energy in any. There's not, there needs to be more. I mean, it's kind of like smile, pass it on, you know, I Mm -hmm. feel like if you are this way and are giving and open. And I have been very open with my life experience from, you know, depression and everything, because, um, I don't think mental illness is talked about enough. Drug addiction isn't talked about enough. It's like, you know, cancer's talked about. And if people have cancer, you know, they deal with it, but people that have depression, it's like, it's something weird and something is wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've really tried to live my life as an open book, which has hurt me in some ways because <laughs> people will, um, you know, say some nasty things, but I've tried to share my experience because I have overcome, you know, a lot of obstacles. I've had moments that I lived in a house with no electricity and counted pennies to go get a hot dog to eat. Um, and I'm driving a Mercedes now that I did all on my own with not help from, um, you know, my family to not financial help. I definitely had some support along the way, but, um, you know, I had some years that I really struggled that I, I almost needed to hit rock bottom to, uh, be able to come around. And I think that experience has been what's given me the energy to drive myself so far. And I'm like, yo, I made it out. (laughs) You guys can do it. Anyone that's out there listening. It's like, I have been able to really, um, change my life in, you know, really just my mental state with, um, love and support and surrounding myself with the right people, uh, and also throwing myself into work. I I truly believe that when I started touring prior to that, I dated terrible guys and I was very codependent and touring is kind of a codependent thing. You have to like take care of the artists and everyone. And I was able to take all that energy and stop dating these shitty abusive guys and put it into touring. And I was like, okay, this is working. I'm like not fucking up and dating (laughs) shitty guys and wasting all my money on them. Like, okay, this is working and I'm making money and my codependency has moved. I still have had to deal with some of that, but I, I have tried to live my life very open. Um, because I think by sharing our experiences, um, other people will be willing to talk about it and um, either get the help that they need 
or the support. I just think in general, the only way out of anything is through. Mm. So talking yeah. about things is, is yeah. very important. Yeah. That's, um, okay. I was just keeping an eye on the recording. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, so like I, um, maybe you said it right at the beginning or right before we started, but, um, something that I has been on my mind, uh, for especially the last couple of years in talking to so many successful people um, at the top of many different fields here on the podcast is realizing that this journey of um, there's some like there's so many people that ha like are lucky enough to have the intangibles to, to just happen to have the intangibles that helps them that pairs well with their skill set in order to like immediately be able to like mm -hmm. maneuver well mm -hmm. in their world and especially in music I've always just been like what is of course part of having those intangibles is because you didn't you probably didn't have a choice to develop them probably yeah. came out of survival a hundred percent so it's like damn like what what is the crash course of like for what is probably, you know, let's say the average USC student mm -hmm. has probably endured like an average, maybe even below average amount of like trauma and yeah. like, like struggle in the sense that like then let's say you want to be a tour manager. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that that job is one of those things that like, I'm sure there are moments where you will be demanded um, to have full discretion, uh, or, or sorry, to have, uh, to maintain privacy. You might see things that like, you probably shouldn't mention, you probably shouldn't talk about. You might be in a position where it's like, okay, this isn't my job. Like this task is not my job per se, but this situation like needs something right now. Oh, yeah. And like, I have the hands, so let me do it. Yeah. And so anyway, I'm like, what I'm getting at is like, there's a there is a level of street smarts and savviness and just being able to like, have you ever seen one of those, um, uh, the, like, it's like the Google self-driving cars where they're like, they're all just like maneuvering yes. perfectly. And it's yeah. like, damn, when, when's one going to crash? Like <laughs> you somehow like immediately, it's like for the, the, the kid coming out of school that wants to get into this, it's like, mm -hmm. how do you then like go into this fucking tornado world <laughs> and be yeah. one of those things that like doesn't crash into the oh, other? Oh, you're going to crash. You just got to know you're going to yeah, crash. You know, And I mean, that's, I remember of the first class I taught, some of the students said, how do you know not to make mistakes? And I'm like, well, you can't approach it that way. You're going to make yeah. mistakes. And mistakes are actually very useful because you learn from them. I think where you start going wrong is if you make mistakes and you don't learn from them and if you continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. Um, so by, you know, having something, I mean, I always, the kids are always asking me to tell a story of like a time I've fucked up or I did something <laughs> wrong. And, you know, I'll tell one, this story is really insane, but I it was the first, one of my first international tours and, um, the artist was pretty cheap. It was like not one of my first international tours, but like big artist international tours, like a list artist. And I was tour managing the a party. Obviously I can't mention who this is, but, um, I was trying to book a hotel and he wouldn't approve the hotel. He said it's too expensive and we're in like Switzerland. And finally I get the hotel approved and the travel agent has sent it to me, but we have to drive like an hour and a half after the festival to get there. We get there and I remember we pull up and it's like, 
weird lighting. It was like really bright. And I was like, this is so strange. And we like get there and I get inside and I get the artist up to the hotel room and I come back down and, um, I'm like looking at the elevator and the one elevator button says up to go to the hotel and it's like down to medical center. And I'm like, are we at a medical center? Like, this is weird. (laughs) And I just like kind of go on and then I go to my room and the room is like weird. It's all hardwood floors, like really kind of stark. And then next to my bed is a big red button for like an emergency. I'm like, what the, what is going on? So me and some of the girls on the tour go down and we grab a glass of wine in the bar and not a bar. It was a cafeteria with like a cereal bar. And I was like, this is also strange, like not a normal hotel. And I asked the waitress who hardly spoke English, like, are we at a, like, is this a medical center or something? And she goes, I don't know how to say this in your language, but this is where people come to die. (laughs) And I go, we're at a hospice. (laughs) So I had booked a hospice for an A-list artist. Um, and I didn't call the hotel. I didn't get enough research and enough time to do my due diligence to make sure that I was booking the right place. Even though the travel agent told me it was an okay place to book. You always have to double check your work. And I was too busy or felt I was too busy and it was too last minute. Um, but I learned from that. Like I, yeah, it was a big mistake. It was kind of funny because the next day we came down and it was like tea time for everyone. So it was like a bunch of 90 year olds having tea when we were checking out of the hotel, which was, uh, the artist was like, where are we in a nursing home? <laughs> what is this? Um, we all kind of laughed about it and like was lighthearted, but you know, I've learned from that and it, there is no way that you're not going to crash because that is actually the quickest way to learn is by making some of those mistakes on the road because experience is everything. I can teach all day long about how to do a day sheet, how to do a budget, how to plan, how to talk, all these things. But until you get in there and you figure out what works for you and have the experience and You'll have some wins, you'll have some hardships, but that's how mm. you're going to learn. In, in, and in that world, too, I'm curious, um, maybe not your own experiences, maybe people you've seen, but like, I mean, shit, even going, like continuing on that analogy of mm-hmm. crashing, as we know, like when you crash a literal car, the, no matter what it is that you hit, no matter if it's your fault or not, the worst thing you can then do is to like leave the scene. Yeah. Right? So yeah. that, so it's like, so exactly. like, you know, when you crash, <laughs> you try to that mistake that was made, you try to make that the worst of it. Yes. So in, in your world, what are some ways that when you do crash, unfortunately, like maybe some people can just make mm-hmm. it even fucking worse. Well, I'd say don't lie. Own up to the mistake immediately. I think a lot of people want to initially be like, I didn't do this. It's not my fault. It's someone else's. They did it. Um, Sometimes even when I know I wasn't the one at fault, I'm just like, I get it. I made a mistake. I could have been better about asking the questions or doing the thing. And taking ownership of something it goes so far because we're human. It's okay to make mistakes, you know? And I think that's one of the biggest things is like take ownership, own up to it and figure out and verbalize how you would have done it different. So not just like, yeah, I know I fucked up. It's like, okay, I fucked up. And I can see that because I didn't call the hotel and follow up, that is why we are in this situation. Mm. So it's like, you've learned from it and you're expressing your learn what you've learned from it. Um, but I think that's one of the biggest ones. And the other one is just, I mean, making it over and over again. Mm. I mean, that's the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again, (laughs) expecting a different result. But, um, yeah, I mean, 
you're going to crash and just try not to get in a deadly car accident. Yeah. <laughs> See, that, 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 that's one of those, that's an example of where my head goes to like, see, how do you teach that? Like, how do you teach when, cause like, I, I can tell just from talking to you that like mm-hmm. your, your like, um, your like situational social IQs is very high. <laughs> and it's so, like, you just know what the fuck is like going on in mm-hmm. a room. Right. And, and that being said, like, because you you have to be so. It's taken me thirty eight years to get there. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it's, but it's so cool because you have to be so self aware and mm-hmm. situationally aware to know those very specific moments where you're like, okay, it is best to simply put out the fire rather than establishing who started it. Like, like, yeah. just knowing those moments. Yeah, move forward. You know, let's not look back. Um, I think, you know, you can go, okay, well, he should, he said this, she did this. It's like, okay, we're here right now. Here's the Mm -hmm. issue. What do we need to do to move forward and get to what needs to happen? Mm -hmm. I mean, we've had situations, gear is stuck at the border and the show is in an hour. Like, what are you going to do? You know? Okay. We're here now. We don't know whose fault it is. Let's just, what are we going to do to fix it? So what, what do we do to move forward and find a solution? Do we know any other bands that are at this festival? Like, do they have gear? Are we able to do an, uh, you know, acapella set? Like, what are the situations and what is the solve? Not just focusing on how did we get here? You mm. know, I think it's important to afterwards, once you can fix something to say, okay, well, what were some of the decisions we made along the way that got us here? But in the moment, um, trying to figure out what you can do to move forward, I think is, is very important. Or you're just going to get in that moment of a crash. You got to get the cars off the road, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you got to move past it and um, you can address some of those issues of how it happened later mm-hmm. after you've had the show or whatever the issue is that's mm-hmm. gone on. And how, how like, um, I'm trying to calculate in terms of like uh, the, the pressure, how cutthroat is the world of live events and touring in the sense that like how, how many shots are you given after fucking up? Like, even if you have a great reputation, just like, does it just take one major fuck up to just, no, I mean, I think, you know, if it has to do with money, that's, you know, if you're stealing, Mm. you're out, (laughs) you know, don't steal. Um, if you're doing something like that, I think, yeah, it takes one shot and you're out. I think in most other situations that are genuine mistakes, I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes. It, it take, you're working as a team. So you want, you know, when I was interviewing a lot for jobs and for tour management, it wasn't just about, you know, oh, does the band want me? Do I want to work with these people? Are, is mm. my personality and who I am a, as a person going to align with who they are and what they want to do? Um, it, it's a little bit of a, it goes both ways. I'm lucky that I got to be able to get into that position where I could choose the tours that I wanted to go on. But I mean, I always say with, with students and with people that I'm hiring, you can't teach personality, but you can teach the technical skills and not saying there's a right or wrong personality, but there is a right or wrong personality for certain bands. So you're strong. Some people say I'm a little rough on the edges cause I can be a little too direct sometimes, <laughs> but, um, you know, that doesn't work for some people and that's okay. That doesn't mean that I'm wrong for being direct. That works really well with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's about finding a group of people that want to support you and are willing to see you grow mm-hmm. and 
Um, you know, it's hard. I mean, I've cried and been very upset when I make my mistakes because I care. I just want to do a good job. Mm -hmm. I just want to feel good. And I want the people around me to feel good by the work that I do. So when you make a mistake, it, it hurts, but I think there would be something wrong if it didn't hurt probably means I didn't care. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a good thing. I think that I internalize it and I'm sad that I made the mistake, but, um, I think you got to be surrounded with the right group. And if someone's only giving you one shot, that's not, that's, yeah. that's not necessarily the right group, depending on what, if you're like, you know, doing really terrible things, yeah. but, yeah. um, people make mistakes. It's, it's all about learning. And I mean, as a tour manager, you really have to, you know, I have to like be a certain person for one group that I'm a different person for another. And you mm -hmm. have to like, you know, what day are you going to be on with the band? Did they have a good show last night? Um, how do they feel? Like, do they want me to come knock on the door and ask them to come get on stage? Um, or are they not wanting me to be in the room? You know? So I became very, I mean, I think a lot of my success actually came from, I was very observant. Um, I notice when people eat certain food, when they drink water, when they want something and I would remember it the next day and I would put the water in front of them before they would wake up or, you know, it was little things like that, that I just really was able to like get into social cues, like you were saying, mm -hmm. and, and tie into that personality. And when I'm able to find a personality that works well with me. I mean, that's where the synergy and like the magic happens and the best tours and the best experiences happen. Um, you have to find, it's like, it's a relationship. It's a marriage. I mean, when you go on tour, you're work, living, sleeping, chitting with all these people. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you don't get a break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I don't want to box you into anything. So feel no. free to say like, fuck that shit. Okay. But in this, um, I, I I, I mean, obviously I wouldn't know or understand, but it, are there specific, uh, challenges, I guess, being like a woman in this business? That, of course. Okay. Um, I'd say, you know, I'd say there's been really great successes at being a woman. I think initially, you know, 15 years ago, there really weren't that many tour managers and we, most of the girl tour managers, we all know each other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because when someone wants a female tour manager, they, reach out to, you know, the top female tour managers. Um, I'd say a lot of people, not that men aren't nurturing, but <laughs> women have a very nurturing ability. Um, and the way that they speak, um, is, you know, I, I think we're able to, we are caretakers. Mm -hmm. That is like part of how we've raised and how society has put us in that place. So naturally we like to care for other people. So I think there has been, some positives where people have been like, I only want a female tour manager. Mm -hmm. Um, but there have also been some times where I've interviewed and they were like, I don't know if I want to hire Sophie cause I don't think she'll be able to help carry the bags. And I'm like, yeah. really? That's what my job you're going to hire me on. If I can help <laughs> carry the artist's bags or not like that's ridiculous. Um, and I mean, it's hard. I mean, th there's been many situations where, um, I'm, you know, someone walks into the room and it's like this, we're on tour and I'm working at my desk and you're over there and they go straight to the man. They say, so we have this issue and you know, I need to talk to you about like, what are we going to do? And the production manager will go, the boss is over there, you know? And it's like, Oh, you know? And they're like, feel bad for a second. Cause 
it's a female and they just went straight to the man thinking they're the one in charge. Um, and there's a lot of situations where, you know, I think the movements that have happened in the last five years have been amazing, um, for just women to speak up because I think for years I didn't even know how to address this one. This is a terrible story, but I was walking in the back of a venue one time and I was, it was after the show and I was eating a piece of pizza and a stagehand was like, oh, that looks delicious, and I'm not talking about the pizza. Mm. You know, and I'm just like, would you ever say that to the male tour manager walking in the back? Like, never. That would never happen. But I didn't even speak up, and I didn't even say anything because as a female, you're just taught to, like, take it and whatever, ignore it, and it'll go away. Um, I think now I would handle that situation differently, um, and I would say something because that's – harassment and like not okay. Um, but yeah, there's been struggles. I mean, a lot of other tour managers make more than I do that are men. And, um, you know, I still think that there is a little bit of inequality, but we have come very far. Um, and then obviously the hard parts are like the first tour with pretty lights. I was sharing a hotel room with two dudes. I had to share a bed with a guy and I was like building a pillow wall between me and him. I remember every night, you know, so, you know, there's some stuff where it's like, okay, am I comfortable? I'm on a bus with 11 dudes and me. (laughs) And like, I wake up every morning and seeing these hairy guys in their underwear roll out of bed. I'm like, you know, whatever you get kind of used to it. And the amount of swearing and burping and shitting and disgusting things that happen on buses. It's like, I have had a lifetime full of it. Um, I'll probably be great as a mom because nothing will phase me, but yeah, it's, um, it, they, it has its challenges, but I really also think that where we're at now is that it has almost more perks. Um, you know, people look to have uh, a strong female be able to come, and I love being that role model. I think the students at USC have been like, there are not a lot of female professors, mm-hmm. and we have just loved that that's somebody in production that's a female, and, um, you know, it's it's amazing to provide that, role model to them and also be like, you know, you can do it. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Like there are some challenges around it, but, um, I wouldn't have changed anything Yeah. besides maybe talking back to that stupid guy. Yeah, man, (laughs) this is what's like just everything you're saying. What I, and I don't even know if this is out there. Um, if it is, it's not popular enough, but, um, now like, I want to like see a thing where we get like, a bunch of uh like like do like a like a documentary or something yes. get like a bunch of tour managers um and like follow some like on their on their tours like and just like because i don't think people get this they don't the problem is a lot of the artists don't want them to know the behind the scenes yeah. it's this weird it's like we the crew and what tour managers do is so important but no one really knows <laughs> i mean i'm under so many different ndas and you know you Or as a tour manager, I mean, you know everything about everyone on the tour, especially the artists. You're dealing with flying in their wives and their girlfriends. And, um, you know, it's a very personal experience where you know each other, you know them extremely well. So as much as it's like I wanted to for a while before COVID happened, I was hoping to do something like that and like film behind the scenes. But it's really hard. You'd have to find the right artist that would be willing to share everything because the stuff that they do share, which is like the band getting ready before the show, doesn't doesn't really show the what goes on. And what goes on is really not that much, as boring as that sounds, mm-hmm. but 
we're usually just like in a green room trying to catch five minutes of sleep or, um, it, it ends up, it, it's exciting. It's exhausting as a tour manager, but for the band, it's like, it's a lot of just like trying to catch up on sleep, doing interviews, doing radio shows. Like it's, it's nonstop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I imagine. Um, and you know, before we, uh, uh, get you out of here, I, I, it's, it's cool because you, again, you, you've done so much cool stuff and I'm, I'm interested to like, whether it was like, um, because logistically it went so well or, you know, cause I know it's, I understand it's work. So it's kind of tough to be like, well, which, which, which of the tours or events mm-hmm. you've done where you've had a good time because mm-hmm. you're working, but like, ha- have there been any events that like, um, like, like, can you like recall like the smoothest that something has like, where you're just like, damn, like. What the fuck? Like, this is like, this is just all clicking. Yeah. Does that ever happen? Uh, <laughs> I'm like, nothing's coming to mind. Yeah. Um, I mean, what I will say is that every, there are days that are, you're like, wow, today was a great day. Everything happened on time. You know, look, the, you do the same thing every single day. It's like, wake up, load in, set the things up, do the show, settle, shower, go to sleep, wake up. I mean, it's, Sometimes you wake up and you're like, where, what, where am I? Like, what city am I in? Like, what day of the week is it? You don't even know. So, yes, there have been the days where I'm like, wow, this was such a great day. We crushed it. Everyone on the team was in such a good mood and, like, it felt great. The band played great. Um, But what I will say is regardless of the day, if it's good or bad, the moment that the band takes the stage or the DJ or whoever, the artist – and the crowd goes crazy and that energy is pushed onto the stage and you are there, that is the most rewarding feeling out there. Music is one of the most unifying mediums out there. And to me, it's where people get to let go of everything that is going on in their life that day to come together to listen to something great. doesn't matter what language you speak, doesn't matter you know, why you got there or how you got there. You're all together in that moment together and experiencing. You can never go back to that moment. Even if it's recorded, whatever, you can't go back there. And whoever's there experiences it together. Um, And that's what has made me in love with the music industry and in love with live shows is I want to bring that joy and that feeling to as many people as possible because it is, it's the best feeling ever. Yeah, yeah. And there, this is a, this is, this is one of the ep- like those episodes that's it's like tough to conclude because <laughs> one there's like a I'm sure there's a billion there more stories is. and just things to, to talk about and I think um, just you know just what I've learned from you now I mean there there's a it seems to be one of those careers where um, you know regardless of you know if you're listening that you're, you're trying to get into this or mm-hmm. not there's so many life lessons packed into it that like it's just. You could, you could like write like a Bible out of this, you know? A hundred percent. I actually really want to write a book for my class because I don't have a good touring book. So hopefully one day you'll see it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, um, well, we definitely got to have you back on. I'd love to. It's been point. so amazing speaking to you. Yes. Likewise. And I can't, I cannot believe this is your first, you're, you're a, not, you, you Thank should be you. hosting. No. This is your podcast now, man. But You ask good questions. Oh, dude, it, it, this is, it's, it's been great. And, um. Yeah, you know, for for people listening, this is Sophie Reeves, um, and of course, you know who I am. It's a song called Life, and we're out. Peace. Peace.